how many of you prefer to fly with a carry-on bag rather than check a bag? Most of you prefer, yeah. Journalist Alex Stone tells the story of how executives at a Houston airport solved a cascade of passenger complaints about long wait times at the baggage claim. You know what they first did? The first attempt to solve this problem was they hired more baggage handlers. You know what happened? They set an industry record. Due to more handlers, passengers received their luggage at, a ba- at the baggage claim in just eight minutes. This was far faster than any other airport. But guess what? The complaints persisted. And you know why? Because on average, passengers took only one minute to walk to the baggage claim. So you know what that meant? It meant the passengers still had to wait another seven minutes to get their bags. Seven empty minutes of doing nothing but waiting. But the executives, they didn't know what to do. But then, in a burst of innovation, they came up with a brilliant idea. You know what they did? They moved the arrival gates farther away from the baggage claim. (laughs) This meant the passengers now had to walk for a longer period of time. And you know what happened? Due to the longer walk, when the passengers arrived at the baggage claim, their bags were waiting for them. And you know what happened to the complaints? They disappeared. The journalist who wrote this piece also interviewed MIT operations researcher Richard Larson. And according to the article, Larson is the world's, get this, leading expert on waiting in lines to discover the psychology behind our waiting. Larson makes lots of helpful insights. However, he mentioned something that I found particularly fascinating. He writes this. He says, says, we tolerate occupied time. For example, walking to baggage claim far better than unoccupied time, such as standing at the baggage carousel. He says, give us something to do while we wait, and the wait becomes endurable. And then he says this. The length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. Without question, waiting is arguably the hardest thing to do. Amen? Amen? Whether we're waiting for a package to arrive from Amazon, we're waiting for our bags at the carousel, we're waiting for the news from the doctor, we're waiting to hear if we got that job. Waiting is hard. 
Today is our church's 15th anniversary. And we have much to praise God for, don't we? Indeed, what a sweet reminder last Sunday was just to hear testimony after testimony from church members identifying and celebrating evidences of God's grace in the lives of others. And I need to confess to you that personally, I, I quickly get overwhelmed when I consider God's abundant, abundant, undeserved kindness He has lavished on this precious church. God has given us many wonderful blessings. Amen? And now, in God's kindness and in God's wisdom, here in our 15th year, He has placed us in His sovereignty. He's placed us in a season of waiting. We as a church, we are waiting for Him to provide a new place for us to meet as a church. We're waiting. So on this morning, the morning of our 15th year, here's the question I want us to consider, and that is, what are we to be doing while we wait for God to provide? That is, what should we be giving ourselves to? In the words of Larson, how should we occupy our time? Because I have to tell you, I believe he is correct when he states, the length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. So what should we be doing? How should we occupy our time? Well, I believe this is the question that our Lord Jesus answers directly in Matthew chapter 6. So if you would please turn with me there in your Bibles. That's page 811 in that paperback Bible. As you're turning there, let me give you the context. This morning we are going to be studying Matthew 6, 19 through 34. And as many of you know, this passage is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as we read through this text, you're going to notice some things. I just want to highlight them now. You'll notice that this passage is full of terms related to wealth. You're going to see words like money, treasures, value, worth. They show up all over the place. Similarly, this passage is also full of terms related to the heart and to our motives. So you'll see the word heart, treasure, master, pursue, and seek. These words will frequently appear in this section of Jesus' teaching as well. And I bring this to your attention at the outset because Jesus is going to teach us a very important truth concerning waiting, specifically as we wait for him to provide. You see, as Jesus will make abundantly clear, while we wait for God to provide, our level of worry, 
our level of anxiety has less to do with our circumstances and everything to do with what we treasure. So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Hear now the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is His good word to us. And again, I'm, I believe as we work our way through this, his, he, what He's driving at is He wants us to consider what we're to do while we wait for Him to provide for us. Jesus says this, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So just notice right out of the gate, Jesus clearly teaches that we all treasure something, don't we? Please hear, hear me. All of us are seekers. We are seeking something to treasure. None of us just float down like a log on a river, life aimlessly. No, we, we need something to live for. We need something to treasure. And Jesus says at the end of the day, we have two real options. We can store up and we can treasure things on this earth, or we can treasure something in heaven. Store up our treasures in heaven, and it's what he makes clear in the context. The greatest treasure in heaven is who? God. God. And what I want you to see, what Jesus is about to do is, is he not only says that we all treasure something, but he's, notice he's going to say that what we treasure directs the course of our life. For notice what he says next here in verse 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I must confess to you, I think when we first read this, we're like, it seems like Jesus is just going way off topic, Right? These verses almost seem out of place. He goes from treasures, and now he's talking about eyes and lamps. But he's not off topic. <laughs> no, you know what Jesus is saying? He's simply teaching this, and that is, what we treasure, it directs our lives. And here's why. What you need to understand is that in the language of Scripture, fixing the eye... And fixing the heart amounts to the same thing. It's focusing our attention and concentrating all our energies on some object. This is to say to set the heart and to fix the eye are synonyms. So, so here's the argument here in these two verses. 
It goes like this. Just as a clear, focused eye gives light to the body, so too a single-minded ambition to serve and worship God adds meaning to life and throws light on everything we do. And yet just as blindness leads to darkness, so too a selfish ambition. Laying up treasures on earth plunges us into moral darkness. So the the 30,000 foot view is this. What we treasure sets the direction of our lives. We could could put it this way. There are consequences to what we treasure in our hearts. And furthermore, one of these consequences of treasuring anything is that it becomes our master. Because look at what Jesus says next in verse 24. These things are building off one another. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Man, Jesus doesn't pull any punches here, does he? Notice, Notice this. Notice how the things of the earth have gone from being something you treasure in your heart to now a master you serve. We only have room for one thing in our hearts to treasure, and whatever that it, it becomes our master. And did you see what Jesus is doing here? I hope you see it. From verses 19 through 24, you know what Jesus is doing? He's forcing us to make a choice. Did he catch that? Jesus says, you can either serve God or wealth. You can either pursue treasures in heaven or you can store up treasures on earth. You can fix your eyes solely on God or you can set your eyes on something other than God. And the choice is yours. What will we treasure above all things? Better yet, what are you treasuring? Now, I bring this to your attention because in the next section, a section probably many of you are very familiar with, in the next section, Jesus assumes we've made the right choice. Because look at what he says there in verse uh, 25. What's the first word of verse 25? Therefore. He says, therefore, some translations have it, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. In other words, Jesus is saying, because you've chosen to treasure God above all things, you have no need to worry. Why? Well, look at what he goes on to say here in verses 25 through 30. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And what's the answer? Yes, it is. And then he directs our attentions to nature. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And what's the answer? Yes. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now here he's getting to his main point, what he wants us to do while we wait for him to provide the clothing, the food, the water we need. He says, verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need them all. This is where I think he's going, the main point. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen and amen. This is God's good, good word. Uh, the other day, I was in a retail shop, and I saw this. Do you, do you happen to know what this is? It's not just any gnome. It's a worry gnome. Have you seen these before? It actually comes with a card that explains what it does. And I, I could not help but take a picture of it in the moment. L listen to this. Your very own worry gnome. It says, I'm your little worry gnome. Simply put, this is what I do. I magically remove your worries and make a happier you. Each night before you go to sleep, just whisper your worries to me. Then place me under your pillow and then you'll sleep so peacefully. In the morning when you wake, You'll feel better and not alone. Remember, I'm always here to help. I'm your very own worry gnome. And you know what? People buy this. And not simply the item. They buy into this method of dealing with their worries and their anxieties. Notice, Jesus gives radically different counsel, does he not? In the passage that I just read, he teaches that for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who belong to him through faith in Jesus, faith in him, he teaches that we have no need to worry. Why? Because the God we treasure values us. For the follower of Christ, we don't need to whisper our concerns to a worry gnome because our Lord and Savior cares for us so much more than the lilies of the field and he knows what we need even before we ask. Amen? Yet I want to submit to you that this passage isn't primarily about worry though Jesus does address it. No, this text is primarily about what we are to do while we wait for the Lord to provide what He has determined we need. 
and faith, you know what we are to do while we wait for God to provide, not only for your life as an individual, but also for us corporately as a church. In the waiting time, you're not to sit on your hands. You're not to fret and worry. No, based on what Jesus teaches, you are to do this, and that is seek first God's kingdom, not your own. This, I want to suggest, is the main point Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. What are we to do while we wait? What are we to seek? Seek God's kingdom, not your own. Friend, we all are seeking something. And what should we be seeking while we wait for our good God to provide who clothes the lilies of the field, who feeds the birds of the air, who's the sovereign Lord over all creation, who knows what we need even before we ask? What should we be doing? What should we be busying ourselves doing while we wait for Him to provide? Seek first His kingdom, not our own. That is, we are to give preeminence to his purposes and mission. Yet, so often, and I confess, this is true of me, so often while we wait, you know what kingdom we seek first? Our own. That is, we give preeminence to our wants, wishes, and desires. We make our chief concern our needs. And then once all my needs are squared away, once everything in my kingdom is buttoned up and in order, and I, I have the job I need, I have the children I want, I have the clothes I want, I have the house I need, once I get everything taken care of here, then I'll start busying myself with what God wants. However, faith, it ought to be the exact opposite. Instead of preoccupying ourselves with the things we believe we need, such as a job, a spouse, children, a home, a new church meeting place, we are rather to entrust those things over to Him, believing that He will provide at the proper time, and then busy ourselves seeking His kingdom first. Busying ourselves with kingdom work. And you know what? He says he's going to provide and I'm going to trust him. And in light of what we just read, I think it's appropriate for us to ask ourselves, and I even challenge you just to think of this, ask yourself, Christian, a tender member of Faith Community Church, is laboring to expand God's kingdom, giving time, effort, energy. Is that even on your radar? Do you even consider daily how you can live for Him and invite others to put their faith in the King of the kingdom? Or is your heart and mind preoccupied with what you think you need? How about this? 
When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When was the last time you prioritized your schedule to invest in relationships with lost people? Or took time to pray for their souls? When was the last time you sacrificed your time to serve the people of God's kingdom? When was the last time you sacrificially gave financially? That is, you intentionally deprived yourself of some pleasure you could enjoy, you could afford, but you're like, you know what, I am not going to do that so that I can instead give generously to God's means for expanding His kingdom, the local church. I wonder what it would look like for us if we sought first God's kingdom when we considered our finances. I wonder how less possessive we would be of our stuff and how more generous we might be if we sought first God's kingdom when it came to our bank accounts or our time. In other words, faith, I believe Jesus is pressing upon our hearts to ask the question, what are we seeking first? The kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? So this is what I'd like to do this morning, just for the next couple of minutes. I want us to consider how this would apply to our lives as individuals as well as corporately as a church. We're 15 years old. As Basil reminded us a couple weeks, we're going to be driving next year as a church. 16-year-olds. But while we wait, and we have been waiting, and we've been diligent to be obedient and faithful, to be responsible, but as we wait, what should we do? How, how can we seek first his kingdom? Indeed, that's the question, how? How can you seek first God's kingdom and not your own? Well, I believe Jesus shows us. I just want to highlight three actions that I think he says we must take. And the first is this. If you're going to seek first God's kingdom and not your own, you first must abandon earthly treasures. I mean, this is what he's getting at, is it not? In verses 19 through 21, look at there again. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A 28-year-old, Artem Sidorkin, was experiencing extreme pain in his chest. The young Russian man was also coughing up blood. And concerned that he might have a malignant tumor in his lung, the young man was rushed into surgery. Yet to the surgeon's surprise, when the doctors opened up Sidorkin's chest, they didn't find a tumor. No, you know what they found? They found a fir tree. Here's a picture of the x-ray. See if you can find the garland. 
According to the Associated Press, the surgeon said, quote, I thought I was hallucinating. I asked my assistant to have a look. I said, come and see this. We've got a fir tree here. The assistant nodded in shock. He actually blinked three times to make sure he was correctly seeing things. The doctors now believe the coughing of blood was caused by the tiny pine needles piercing his blood capillaries. And they think that somehow Sidorkin inhaled a seed which later sprouted into a small fur inside his lung. After the surgeons, after the surgeons removed the tree, the young man said he was just glad it wasn't cancer. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You know what? I kind of can. I know Jesus can. Not that we have a fir tree growing inside us. But faith, we can often have something even more dangerous growing in our hearts. And that's an evil treasure. I want you to notice, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, before he gets to his command to seek for God's kingdom, what does he do? He addresses the heart. And you know why? Because as Jesus makes clear in the verses that follow, what you treasure charts the direction of your life. To put it another way, you will never be able to seek first God's kingdom if you're treasuring your own. Because notice, at the end of the day, we can either treasure the God of heaven or we can treasure ourselves. And whenever we treasure ourselves, as Jesus says here, we often elevate the things of this world to an inordinate level. And Jesus is calling us to abandon these evil treasures. And I just want to press in here for a moment because there's a massively important implication or application for us as a church, especially as we wait. Faith, Lord willing, in our God's perfect timing, we will meet in a new location. And you know what that means? It means there will be change. There will most likely be some advantages to the new places, the new place we meet. And you know what? Most likely there could be some disadvantages to the new place we meet. Now, I don't want to be Captain Obvious, but I think it's important that we acknowledge this. As we wait on the Lord for Him to provide when he does provide, that will mean change. And in seasons of change, faith, we can be especially tempted to treasure comfort and our preferences above God and his kingdom. That is, we can put our wants, wishes, and desires before kingdom work. So, so can I ask, faith, are you prepared for change? 
Here's maybe a better way of saying it. Are you willing to accept some additional costs or inconveniences to labor for God's kingdom and the new place he has for us? And I hope this isn't the case. Or will convenience be such a treasure that if you have to drive a few more minutes to get to the new church building or wherever we choose to meet, wherever the Lord leads us, because you're treasuring convenience so much, it's, I'm just going to look for a new place to worship. Faith, I pray that this will be a time, this waiting time, when we corporately as a church recalibrate our hearts to have God be our greatest treasure, that we would with zeal give ourselves to kingdom work wherever God calls us to meet. Now, think for a moment how we can now apply this even just to our individual lives, especially in our relationships. You know what, you know what happens when we live for the kingdom of self instead of the kingdom of God in our personal relationships? we begin to ascribe to ourselves divine attributes. And why not? When living for our own kingdom, we assume the role of king. And what happens? And when that happens, rather, we convince ourselves that we see everything perfectly. We believe we know the thoughts and the motives of people's hearts. But friend, you don't. There's only one king who sees all and knows all, and that's King Jesus, not you. Listen to me. Don't be his rival. In humility, be his faithful servant. So first, abandon earthly treasures. But then second, abide in God's care. Look at what he says here in verses 25 and following. Says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's wanting to say, yeah, it is. Okay, if it's more than these things, what is it? It's about seeking his kingdom. I mean, the more I read and study the teachings of Jesus, the more profound and brilliant they are. He's laying down the seeds, asking good questions to help us see, yes, what I often preoccupy my heart on, there's something better than that. So he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Yes, we are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? We're to abide in God's care. Uh, one summer evening during a violent thunderstorm, a mother was tucking in her small son into bed. Just as he was about to leave to turn off the light, 
the little boy asked with a, with a tremor in his voice as he was hearing the thunderstorm you know, crash outside, a little tremor in his voice. He said, he said Mommy, w- will you sleep with me tonight? And his mother smiled and went over and gave him a reassuring hug and said, Oh, I, I can't, dear. She said, I have, I have to sleep with your daddy. And as his mother turned to leave his room, she could hear the little boy say under his breath, the big sissy. (laughs) Now, in that boy's mind, the father was a big sissy, right? In fact, he may not even think that his father didn't care about him. But Christian, that's not the way it is with God the Father towards you. Man, This passage ought to make our hearts soar with joy. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. You have no need to worry in the waiting time because the God you treasure values you. And and how has God demonstrated that he does in fact care for you, Christian? If we ever have any doubt that God does care for us, that he does love us, that he does care for our needs... All we have to do is look to the cross of Christ. For the cross of Christ shouts at us that though we are deserving of damnation, uh, though our, our greatest need be salvation and we can't earn it in and of ourselves, God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, what did Christ do? Christ died for us. The cross magnifies and let us know that God does care. Indeed, look at what verse 32 states. He not only cares for our salvation, that he's going to bring us all the way home, but God also knows what our practical needs are before we even ask. And faith, this is what I want us to, to really embrace. Part of what it means to seek first God's kingdom is to trust God's care for his own. It's to believe that God is good and he does good. It's to speak truth to our hearts that God will give us what he deems best for us at his proper time. Yet while we wait for him to provide what is best, you know what we can often be tempted to do? We can often be tempted to take matters into our own hands. And you know why? Because at the heart level... We believe we know what is best for us. Or or to put it another way, part of the reason why we like to take things into our own hands is because we believe God won't get it right. Faith to seek first God's kingdom is to have humility that God will deem what is best for us. And that at times what God deems what is best for us might be different than what we think is best for us. So let us abide in God's care for us. Let us truly believe that we're more valuable to him than the birds of the air and that he won't give us a scorpion when we need bread. Which leads to the third action we must take if we're going to seek for God's kingdom and not our own. And that is you need to ask the right questions. 
Look at verses 31 through 34. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Jesus saying, wrong question. Wrong line of thinking. Wrong priorities. Verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. So what should we be doing, Jesus? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. uh, When the Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov uh, immigrated to the United States, he said the thing that he loved the most about America was going to the grocery stores. He said he'll never forget walking down one of the aisles and seeing powdered milk. Just add water, you get milk. Right next to it was powdered orange juice. Just add water, and you get orange juice. And then he saw baby powder. And he thought to himself, what a country. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if you just add water to something and get what you want, right? Smirnoff needed his thinking corrected, didn't he? Well, in a similar way, Jesus corrects our questioning. You know, it's really fascinating What is often overlooked in the study of this text is how Jesus challenges us on the questions we tend to ask while we wait. Jesus himself not only asks many questions in these passages, in this passage, but he also rebukes our errant ones. Notice Jesus says the wrong question to ask is while we wait is what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Instead, based on his command to seek for God's kingdom, you know what questions we need to ask? The questions we need to ask are, how can I live for King Jesus in my marriage? How can I live for King Jesus at my job? How can I seek his righteousness in my family? Or how about this? Instead of asking, what will I drink? How about asking, who can I invite to drink from the living waters? Instead of asking, what will I eat? How about asking, who can I invite to taste and see that the Lord is good? Instead of asking, what shall I wear? How about asking, who can I tell about the righteous robes of Jesus? that he gives to all who trust in him. Seeking first our kingdom makes us blind to the fact that there's a lost world that needs the righteous robes of Jesus, the living waters God gives without price, and the food of God's word. And you know why we're often blind to this? Because we're so preoccupied with the kingdom of self. You know what questions you need to be asking while we wait for a new building? It's how can I seek his righteousness in my life? How can I spread the good news of his son to others?
Because notice the promise. Jesus promises that when we seek his kingdom first, what's going to be added to us? What's going to be added? All these things. In his timing. Faith, you know what's really, really good news? And I, and I have to tell you that the Lord has taught this to me over these past 12 or so months as we've been waiting on a church building. What's really good news is that the kingdom of God is so much bigger and greater than Faith Community Church. He doesn't need us. Yet he chooses to use us. Amazing, isn't it? And as we march towards year 16, may we be found faithful, humble servants of his kingdom. As we wait, may we start today to seek his kingdom, not our own. Amen? Let's pray.